And welcome to Ray Mahuvim. This is Rabbi Yitz Greenfield, MS Marriage and Family Therapy. I'm so happy you're joining me today on Asara Beteves. Today is a live show. If you are listening to me today, you can be reassured that it is live. I am here in the studio at 11.08. And uh, <clears throat> we have a really, really interesting class, Mirza Hashem, today. Mishem Hashem, Nasev and Atzliach. Um, okay, today's Asara Beteves. I, I, I want to start today's class. Actually, for those of you who are new listeners, here's what we do. We try to develop new skills and tools to enhance, to empower you with new skills and tools to help you in your relationship, in your marriage. For those of you who are married, for those of you who are going to get married, it's so important to know what you're doing. It's so important. You know, <clears throat> I'm telling you, Based on, first of all, being a married man myself. Second of all, working with couples. Baruch Hashem HaKadosh Baruch has been mezakim me to work with couples. And uh, third of all, letting you know that marriage is called Kedushin. Kedushin is, is, is the word for marriage, not arbitrarily, because it has to have kedusha. You need to have holiness in your marriage in order for it to be sustainable. Do you know, you know, I was recently reading a, um, a, a, I read a lot of marriage books, as you can imagine. You know, the newest thing that comes out, I'm trying to get myself hold of it. So I'm reading this marriage book. And sort of the innuendos of this particular book is talking about the big issues that couples have today. Now, do you realize that uh, the divorce rate today in the secular world is approximately 50%? Would you make an investment in any stock if you would realize that there's a 50% chance that it's going to go bust? Would you, would, you, would you go on a vacation if someone were to tell you that there's a 50% chance that you're, you're going to have a horrible time? <laughs> it's not going to work out. Would you do anything? There's a 50% failure rate, but people still get married. Okay, Baruch Hashem, in our community, it's not like that. The divorce rate is definitely much, 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 much less. But don't think to yourself for a second that it doesn't happen. Oh, boy. It does happen, and the rate has been escalating much more than it used to be. Oh, boy, it's been going higher and higher and higher. And I want to tell you, you know, you do agree with me, you don't agree with me. I'm going to make this very simple, and I'm going to tell you. If you are abiding with what Ratzon Hashem is, Ratzon Hashem means what Hashem expects of you in the marriage, then your chances, not I shouldn't say your chances, then chances are that your marriage will be successful. Chances are. Are there exceptional cases with certain mental illnesses, etc.? Yeah, there might be exceptional conditions. And of course, HaKadosh Baruch Hu wanted you in that relationship to go through whatever challenge. And sometimes, Rahman al-Islam, there are, you know, Mesechah's Gittin does come before Kedushin at the end of the day because there are exceptional, and I say exceptional, I'm not talking about, oh, yeah, exceptional cases where the marriage has to end. But marriage ending, you have to take a look. You have to, I, I think you should look at marriage ending as someone who's amputating a leg. That's really, that's the only way I would think that someone should be like, oh yeah, it's not working out, that's it, forget it. And you know these couples, they blurt out the D word? You know what I mean by the D word, the divorce word. They blurt it out. And they get into a fight and they blurt it out. They talk about that. That's, that's, that's nivel pair. It's nivel pair. It should not 
be discussed in a marriage. That word should never come up in a marriage, ever. Ever, are you hearing me now? That word should not exist in your marriage, in any marriage. But what I want to talk to you about today is a couple of things. First of all, today's a Sarbatavis. So let's just take a couple of steps back because it is a Sarbatavis. And we want to understand what is it today? Why are we fasting? What is a Sarbatavis all about? So, you know, some of you have been in shul this morning. And you noticed that we had slichas, and you noticed that we had a special lading, and we're going to have special lading in the afternoon. And a sarbatavis is one of those what they call minor fast, not a major fast, a minor fast. What exactly happened, right? So what happened was that Yerushalayim, um, on a sarbatavis, was the tenth month of Tavis in the year um, three 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 six. The armies of the Babylonian emperor Nebuchadnezzar laid siege to Yerushalayim. And there wasn't a Kherbim right away, because Shbokhu had Rachmanis. And this is the point I want to talk to you about today. Hashem had Rachmanis. Hashem had mercy. And Akhalishbokhu sent Yermio to warn the Yidden, to warn the Jewish people. But you know what they did with Yermio? They actually imprisoned him. 30 months later. Did you hear what I said? 30 months. It wasn't until 30 months later, after the siege of Yerushalayim, which was, which was uh, on the 9th of Tammuz, okay, in 33-38, that's when the, the, the city walls were breached. And then on Tisha B'Av, of that year, the base of Migdash was destroyed. D- d- okay? Now, I-, I want you to focus on that for a second, that HaKadosh Baruch Hu, allowed 30 months after the siege of Yerushalayim, that's when the Kherban happened. 30 months. Even more, actually. That, that, that's when the walls were breached. Okay? And, and, Shiva, and, and the 9th of Tammuz, we, you know, we fast on Shavasa B'Tammuz. And there's a couple other things that happened on, 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 on today. Asar B'Tavis. A couple of other things. Number two, they translated the Torah into Greek. What happened? The Greek emperor's name is Ptolemy. He gathered 72 tzaddikim, and he had them sequestered in 72 separate rooms, and he ordered them to produce a translation. And on the 8th of Tavis, the 8th of Tavis, in the year 3515, they came up with 72 identical translations. Now, this was, by the way, miraculous, and I want to tell you this, why it was miraculous. The reason it was an ace is because there were 13 places where the translators intentionally changed the literal, the literal translation because they felt that it was it, it, that's, that was the right thing to do for whatever reason it is. Now, despite that this was a big mess, the Chachamim saw this event as one of the darkest days in Jewish history, comparing it to the days of the Jews of when the Yidna made the golden calf. Now, now translating the Torah is not a bad thing. Maishu Rabbeinu himself translated the Torah into 70 languages. But this was a human project. And it was initiated by a ruler. And as such, it could become like a golden calf. Defi- that what? A u- humanly de- defined vessel for the divine truth. Instead of just conforming to what the Torah tells us, therefore, what happened was this had to be translated. That's the second thing. And the third thing, 
that happened in this time period, which happened on the ninth of Teves, was that Ezra HaSefer was Nifter. He passed away on the ninth of Teves of the year 3448. And he was the one who led the return of the Jewish people to Eretz Yisrael after Galus of Bavel. And he oversaw the building of the base of Mikdash. And what he also did, by the way, for those of you who may not know, he also helped to put a stop to the wave of intermarriage that was afflicting the Yidden at that time. So uh, the Anch- he was the head of the Anshin Knesset Agdela, and he was the one who pretty much, you could say, established the 24 books of Tanakh, and he came up with a lot of important critical halachis, including the fact to make tefillah something that's formalized. And that's something they never had. You know, today we have, a, you open up the sitter and you have a davening, you daven, right? So where did that ever start? Like a certain set tefillah, that all started from Ezra Sofer. And Ezra Sofer died on the 9th of Tevis. So here you have three stories that happened in this time period. Number one, on the 8th of Tevis was the translation of the Torah. Number two, on the 9th of Tevis was when Ezra Sofer was nifter. And finally, on the 10th of Teves, which is today, was the day that Yerushalayim laid siege, where they surrounded Yerushalayim. And it was only, you know, this is the important part, it was only, only, it was 30 months after that that the walls were breached. HaKadosh Baruch Hu, Kel Mole Rachum V'Chanun, Erech Apayim Vrav Chesed V'Emes. HaKadosh Baruch Hu, is constantly giving us another chance. Constantly. If HaKadosh Baruch Hu wasn't giving us more and more chances, we wouldn't be able to exist. Hashem is constantly having Rahmanas on us, having mercy on us, giving us another chance. And we don't do this, and we don't do that, and we say what we're not supposed to say, or we do what we're not supposed to do, or we look at it, whatever it is that people do. And Hashem just gives us another chance, and gives us another chance. And when HaKadosh Baruch Hu created the world, Hashem decided that the world is going to be run not with Midas Adin, but the world is going to be run with Midas Arachimim. And that's the only way that the world can survive. But not just on Midas Arachimim. Hashem has a tremendous amount of mercy on us. A tremendous amount of vitur, letting go, having Rachmanis, giving us another chance, giving us 30 months between the siege of Yerushalayim to the walls being breached. 30 months it had... Uh, Anasar Batavis is when the armies surrounded Yerushalayim. And 30 months later is when the wall was breached. And then later on, the Beis Amish was destroyed. HaKadosh Baruch Hu is constantly giving us chances. More and more and more and more. And what does Hashem want from us? Well, what does Hashem want from us? It's very simple, right? HaKadosh Baruch Hu wants a relationship. Hashem wants us to connect to Him. The way we do that, we have different roles. Men and women have different roles. The primary one of the primary roles for a man is to learn Torah. Limu Torah is a way to connect to Kaddish Baruch Hu. One of the primary, other primary ways of connecting to Hashem is being like Hashem. And that's something that Abraham Avinu sort of figured out. That what? Kaddish Baruch Hu was a giver. Abraham Avinu wanted to be a giver. That's why he had so much Rachmanes. He used to bring people into his tent and he used to, and he used to give people just, just a free lodging and staying and, and, and just... Come and just, I don't know who you are, but you know what? At the end of the day, he was after his bris milah. 
The third day of the bris he could have just stayed home, but he was outside waiting for guests. Why? Because he wanted to be like Hashem. He, that's the way he connected to Kaddish Baruch Hu. And we can connect to Kaddish Baruch Hu in the same exact way by being givers. And not just being givers by giving actually something, but being like Hashem with being vatranim, by letting things go. And that's the way to bring the Beis HaMikdash back. Because you know, as good as I know, that the reason the Beis HaMikdash is not around today is because of Sinas Chinam. Because of the last, what was the last reason the Beis HaMikdash was destroyed? The last Beis HaMikdash was destroyed. Why? Because of Sinas Chinam. Because of, of unfounded hatred. Now, is that really unfounded? It's not necessarily unfounded. What do you mean? The guy's the guy's not being the guy's being a jerk. He's being an idiot. My husband? <laughs> I how many times do I have to tell him that our kids our kids need new shoes? You know my kids walking around without a coat? You know he's he has a coat, but he lost his coat in Yeshiva. So my husband is tell, saying now that it's his problem if he lost a coat, so he will be without a coat. Like what? Now my son has to walk around without a coat. He's gonna catch a cold. It's nineteen degrees outside. Happens to be today, by the way, nineteen degrees. And now He's walking around without a coat. He's going to catch a cold because my husband decided that it's, he's going to have to be punished. So I shouldn't be upset at my husband. He's being such a, he's being so tough with my son, I can't be tough with him. One second, let's be fair. Rabbi Greenfield, I understand that I could be Mavater. But if my husband is not being Mavater, he's being a tough cookie, do I have to be Mavater with my husband? Do I have to let him go? See how tough he's being with my kids. I have to let it go. That's, you know, let, me, let me give him a little taste of what it's all about. No, that's not what a Kaddish Baruch Hu expects of us. Kel Racham V'chanan means that Kaddish Baruch Hu doesn't look at us and say, well, they're being tough. Yeah. Hashem still has Rachmanis on us. But there's no question about it. If we want to get, bring more Rachmanis, more mercy from a Kaddish Baruch Hu, we want to be Mavater. We want to let things go. I want to tell you something. Something very interesting. You know, there's a Gemara in uh, where is that? There's a Gemara in Rosh Hashanah. Daf Yud Zayin Amalaf says that Rava says, "Call him Mavater al Midaisav Mavirin Loikol Pishav." Anyone who forgoes on his Midos, forgoes on on his character traits, they will forgo him. All of his sins. There's a shocking story that the Gemara brings. It says, Rav Huna, the son of Yeshua, was once very sick. And Rav Papa went to, went to find out about it. He, he went to his house to see how he's doing. And he saw that he was very, very sick. He saw that, you know, it, it's, it's, just, it's really bad. He, he was about to be nifter. So you know what he said? Rav Papa said, Make ready provisions for him, for his journey. Meaning he's, he's leaving this world. However, Bar Hashem, what happened was, was that Rav Huna actually recovered, and Rav Papa felt very ashamed to see him, because here he is, he went to his house, he thought he was being after, he's telling everybody to get ready, and Baruch Hashem, he, he had a Rav Huna So, he said to him, like, what did you see, and you were sick, what did you see? He said, he said it was exactly like you thought, that what? It was supposed to be the end. But HaKadosh Baruch Hu said to them, because he's Mavial Midaisav, do not be severe with him. HaKadosh Baruch Hu had Rachmanis. And it's interesting because Binyam and Zimmerman, he asks, what's, what's this 
power of being mevater al midosav. What's this power of, of all of Huna's great things? Is one of tremendous Talmud Chacham sitting and learning Torah. And what saves him from death is is the fact that is it, it, this one thing? But why? So, so Zimin explains the most basic understanding dovetails with a word called mida. Now what's Mida? We recognize that, that the concept of Mida connected Mida. It's measure for measure. Tit for tat. Right? Now we're not supposed to be tit for tat with our husbands or with our wives as far as proving them wrong. But when it comes to a Mida of Rachmanus, who acts with a man in a way that reflects in which the man acts with others. And to him, it's brought down, it says, Hashem, um, Hashem is your shadow on your right hand. And you know what that is? The degree in which we are exacting with others, that's the way Hashem will be exacting with us. So the question then for all of us is where can we utilize this tool? Where can we utilize this tool of being mevater? It's such a powerful... This morning, you might have said this. Those men who are listening to me today, you said today, slichos, and then you ended up saying, tachnon, right? Or tachanun, I don't know, Sfari's, what you call it, I think it's called tachanun, but if it's not, you know what I'm talking about, tachnunim. And what do we say? Chaneinu v'aneinu ki'ein banu masim. Right? Chaneinu v'aneinu. Hashem, have mercy on us. Because we have nothing. We don't have masim. Hashem, please help us. Please save us. Please help us. Please give us bracha. Who's listening to me right now who doesn't need a blessing? I'd like to know who that person is. Why don't you text me afterwards and tell me, no, I'm fine. Everything is good. I don't need anything. No such a thing. HaKadosh Baruch Hu creates us in the Olam Hazeh. We're constantly needing from Him. Even if we have everything, Baruch Hashem, that we could thank HaKadosh Baruch Hu, we still need. We need HaKadosh Baruch Hu's continuing blessing for those of us who are married, looking for Shalom Bayis. Those of us who have children, we want to make sure that we have nachas from our children. We want to make sure that our children are healthy, that our family is healthy. We want to make sure we're getting along, not only with our husbands and our wives and our children, but with our in-laws, our parents, our friends, our associates, our employees. And there's parnasa. How important is that in today's day and age? In every day and age, we want parnasa. We ask a Kaddish Baruch Hu. You say that in benching every day. We ask Hashem, can you give us money directly? We don't want to go ask people for money. That's embarrassing. That makes us feel uncomfortable. Sometimes it has to be done. But Kadesh Baruch gives it to us directly when it comes to Parnassah. Some of us have very large families. It's not easy. Some of us who are living in... Brooklyn or living in other very expensive areas, just the real estate itself, the rent itself, the mortgage itself is so high. Not to mention our children, those of us who have children, the influence that our children are having. You know how many children today, Nebuch, are having such challenges and are, 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 are going in all sorts of routes. You don't need a Kaddish Baruch Hu's bracha? I ask you a question. You don't need a Kaddish Baruch Hu's bracha? You who's listening to me right now, you don't need a Kaddish Baruch Hu's bracha? Of course you need a Kaddish Baruch Hu's bracha. So you know what? You want to have a bracha? You want to have blessing? Then let me tell you how to do it. If you want to have blessing, there's a, there's a, there's a shortcut. There's a secret. It's brought down. That Rabbi just said this in Rosh Hashanah. Those of you who 
forego their character traits, they forego all your sins, and then you will have bracha. And the way you act with your husband, the way you act with your wife, that's the way that a Kaddish Baruch Hu can reflect. So if you're being mevater with your husband, if you're being mevater with your wife, then a Kaddish Baruch Hu can let go all of your sins. You're telling me you don't have sins? Is that what you're thinking? Of course not. Who doesn't have sins? I mean, just take a look at, at maybe just, maybe we're not talking the way we're supposed to talk with other people. Maybe we're not benching or making brachas with kavana. Maybe we're not, let's say, learning Torah enough. Let's say we're speaking Lashon Hara. Who doesn't make mistakes? Who doesn't, right? There's not a person in the world who doesn't have some sort of something, right? Even minor. But you know what? HaKadosh Baruch Hu is not done us with Midas Adin, but with Midas Arachimim. And you know why? I'll tell you why. Because that's how you are with your wife. And that's how you are with your husband. You see, here's the point. It doesn't feel fair. And I want you to listen to me very carefully about what I'm about to say. This is very important. Being mevater doesn't feel fair. It feels like it's not fair. Why do I have to be mevater for my husband all the time? Why? Why do I have to be mevater for him when he's so tough with the kids, when he's so tough with me, when he's so tough with everybody? You know, let me give him, let me give him a little taste of what he does to everybody else. That's what sa- feels fair. But you know what? Being mevater means I am right and you're wrong, but I still will do it for you anyways. You're asking me for something right now, right? You're asking me to serve you, dearest husband. You come home, and you want me to prepare you dinner, and now you want me to serve you. Now, you don't know that I was on my feet the whole day. You don't know what it feels to be seven months pregnant. You don't know what it means to have had my principal complain, or, you know, I, I work as a teacher, and my principal complained to me today, or I got phone calls from the rabbeim, or the fact that uh, I had to wait an, over an hour and a half with a doctor, and you still want me to serve you. It's really not fair. It's really not fair. I want to relax myself a little bit. And you know something? You're right. You're right. But still being mevater. You see, because being mevater is not, okay, can you do me a favor? Eh, I really don't want to do it. Okay, fine, I'll do it. That's being mevater on like a lower level. But being truly mevater is when you don't deserve it. You don't deserve it for many reasons. Number one, you don't deserve it because, because you're, you don't act like that to me or to your children or to everybody else, so why should I do it for you? Number one. Number two, you don't appreciate everything that I do for you, for the children, for the house, how much time I had to wait this morning for you until you gave me what I asked you for, and I'm waiting and waiting and waiting. And you don't listen to me. I ask you things all the time, and you're constantly putting it on the back burner. Um, or I ask you not to touch this, not to touch that. I'm going to give soon some examples of what I'm talking about. And you want me to be mavater? Like, are you serious? Are you serious? You want me to be mavater? It's not fair. It's not fair. I'm thoughtful. You're inconsiderate. And you want me to be mavater? Let me tell you something, ladies and gentlemen. Yes, be mavater. Be mavater. And you know something? Either do it for Hashem or do it for your spouse. And if you can't do it for your spouse and you can't do it for Hashem, I would say to you, do it completely not lishma. Do it for yourself because at the end of the day, I'm telling you, it'll sustain your marriage. 
I'm telling you your marriage will be sustainable because you're being mavater. But not just because the mechanics of it, but also because HaKadosh Baruch Hashem is running your life. Ah, I don't know, I'm not into that so much. You're not into that so much? Well, guess what? It's the truth. It's MS. All the challenges you're having with your husband, all the challenges you're having with your wife, or even if you're not having challenges with your husband and your wife, let's say you just got married and everything is so wonderful and so nice. Well, guess what? Life has its, its challenges. And as you get older, you'll have children, and children bring along a lot of challenges. And there's challenges of parnasa. And then, hopefully, there won't be challenges of health. And then this one complains, and that one complains. And then all these stories happen. Like, I hear stories all the time from couples. Like, wow, that's a wild story. How did that happen? HaKadosh Baruch Hu set it up. HaKadosh Baruch Hu is programming everything. So if you want shalom in your house, if you want peace in your house, let it go. Let it go, even though it's not fair. So I'm right, you're wrong, but I'm still going to let it go. That's what you have to think to yourself. And when you do it, the best thing is to say, Hashem, I'm doing it for you. I'm just doing it for you. I'm thoughtful, you're inconsiderate, but I'm going to let it go anyways. I also had a horrible day. Like you're complaining to me about this, that, the other thing, you want me to listen to you? I also had a horrible day. But you know what? I'm going to help you and I'm going to listen to you. You want me to do this right now? I don't think I have to do it right now. When I ask you things, you don't do it right now. I want to take care of it later. Like, chill out. Like, why are you getting so excited? But you know what? I'm going to do it now because that makes you happy. So I'm going to do it. Even though it's really not right, I'm still going to do it. I'm still going to do it. And you know what? Many times when you, when you do these things, and for certain people who, who just really, really are plugged into their marriage, what happens is they actually transform into, you know, this is really hard, but I love my husband so much. I love my wife so much. I'm going to do this anyways. But that's not necessarily standard protocol. I don't want you to think that that's the way you have to feel. Because many, if not most times, when these challenges come up, you're going to feel like, okay, like it's not fair what he's asking me to do. Or it's not fair, it's not fair that I should let it go. You're, or, or, here's another one, and this is the hardest being mavater, what I want to talk to you about right now. The hardest being mavater is when you're accusing me. You're accusing me of something which is completely not true. You're attacking me and you're criticizing me. You're starting with me right now. But you, and I know good and well that it's not fair what you're doing. You're complaining. You're asking. But you know what? I'm not going to make a big deal out of it. I'm not. I'm going to be mevater. I'm going to let it go. And the reason I'm going to let it go is because I'm going to be like Hashem. I'm going to be like a Kaddish Baruch Hu. I'm just going to let go. And Hashem will bring bracha. Hashem will bring bracha into this house. Hashem will bring bracha for my family. And I'm just going to let go. And you know something, ladies and gentlemen, who are listening to me and saying, why should I let it go? He's going to do it again. I challenge you. I challenge you. You want to get into the fight? You want to go for the tit for tat? You want to, go, you want to jump onto the blame train? I'm telling you, not, you're not going to win. Because if your husband is complaining or attacking or criticizing, or if your wife is complaining and attacking and criticizing, I'm telling you, chances are they have their hats on. They're hungry, angry, tired of stress. You are not going to convince them out of it. You are not. Just let it go. Just let it go. I know what I'm asking is so super hard. I know what I'm asking is so like incredibly difficult. But you're going to see you let it go. He'll forget about it. You'll forget about it. You'll move on. If you can't forget about it, after an hour, and here's what I'm saying to you. I don't want you to think I'm one of those rabbis who tells you, oh, just let everything go. There are times, exceptional, I would say like 3 to 5% of the time. You hear me? 
So 95% of the time you're letting go and 3 to 5% of the time that you're not letting go. And you know, many of you who are listening to me in your house, that's not what's happening. It's more like 95, I'm not letting go and I'm fighting with you because it's not fair the way you're talking to me. And I want to prove to you that you're wrong. I want to prove to you that what you're saying is not true. Does that ever work to prove to you that I can prove to you or she will prove to me? No, what happens is we get into this nasty fight. And ladies, I'm talking to you right now. Very important. You know good and well that when you get into those fights with your husband many, many times, at the end of the day, you're back and forth and back and forth. And he just wants to prove to you that he's right. And you know what? At the end of the day, you just give in because you don't want to fight anymore. So you just give in. Yeah, you're right. Fine, whatever. And then he hears that it's sort of sarcastic. So you haven't even gotten anywhere. And we could have just let him go. Sometimes, gentlemen, you have wives like that. I will say that. It's true. Sometimes you have wives that they, ha- need to ha- they need to have the last word. They need to have the last word. So gentlemen, just let go. I'm telling you, chances are, chances are your wife has her hats on. She's hungry, angry, tired, stressed, sick, hormonal. Who knows what it is? There are many, many reasons. But I'm telling you, it's not going to work because it's all emotional. Do you hear me now? The fight is all emotional. It all boils down to one thing. Okay? And I'm going to be very clear to you about what this one thing is because it all boils down to this one thing. And you know what this one thing is? This one thing is you don't care about me. If I would feel that you care about me, I wouldn't even complain about this. If I would feel that you love and you appreciate me, I would not talk to you about this. Because my battery would be, be full, I would feel loved and cherished, and therefore I would not attack you, my darling husband. And ladies, your husbands are the same. They have different primary needs. But if they would feel achieved in their relationship, if they would feel that you're happy with them, if they would feel that you care about them, if they would feel appreciated and respected by you, they wouldn't either attack and criticize. They would just let it go as well. But that's why they're doing it now. Because two things. Number one, chances are they have their hats on. They're hungry, angry, tired, and stressed. And because they're hungry, angry, tired, and stressed, therefore they're attacking you. And their toleration level is at minus five. And you're going to fight with them? I know it's hard. I know it's hard. I work with couples. I know it's hard. I'm married myself. It, it's one of the most difficult things to let go when you're being blamed for something you've never done, when you're being attacked for something that has nothing to do with you. But what do you want to do? Get into the tit for tat? That's not going to work. That's not going to work. There are some times, I'm not saying, where you can say to your husband or to your wife when they're not stopping, I know you don't mean it, but I'm starting to feel attacked. That, there are some times like that. But if not, just let it go and just leave. Just don't, don't, don't be there for the crossfire. Don't be there. There are ways of handling it. But the theme, and we'll talk about exactly how to do it, but the theme has to be one of being mevater. I'm just going to let it go. You just said something very hurtful. But you know what? Whatever. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not. I understand there are levels. There are also levels. I'm not saying that if you come into your house and your husband also curses you out. I mean, obviously, I understand what you. I understand there are levels, but when your husband says to you, "Oh, I see you didn't put out forks today," and you're thinking like this is all he thinks about that you didn't put out forks today. He doesn't appreciate me. All he thinks about what I didn't do. All he can focus is what I didn't do. He doesn't care and love me. Or you come in, gentlemen. 
and, and you ask your wife so many times that when you come back from shul, you, you're very hungry, and she can have something prepared for you, or, or something, something, you know, prepared, and, and not that you're going to have to wait to make Kiddush. And again it happens, and you just want to blast her, let it go. Now's not a time to talk about it. Let it go. Wait time. Give yourself time. Give yourself an hour. We'll talk exactly about how to do it. But every time you let go, every time you're being mevater, this is both active and inactive. You see, being mevater works in two ways. It works in an active way when your husband wants you to do something, when your wife wants you to do something, to give them something, to take care of something, to go somewhere, and you really don't want to do it. That's mevater number one. Very important point of being mevater. And remembering that Hashem wants us to be mevat, because Hashem is mevat Himself, and Hashem will bring you bracha into the house. That's number one. The other way of being mevat is the inactive way, which is probably more difficult than the active way. What I'm talking about is when you're feeling attacked, criticized, demeaned by your husband. Maybe they're not outright demeaning, but you know what they mean. You know where they're coming from, and you know their point. And I'm telling you right now, that's an opportunity to be mevat. That's That's... An opportunity. So if your spouse is bringing up an issue which you disagree with, his or her approach, but it has no immediate personal ramifications, let it go. Many times we have this situation where your husband is bringing up some sort of subject about something and you don't agree with him. You just don't agree with him. But it has, it's not no gay. It has nothing to do with anything now. We're talking about Shaduchim and your, your oldest is only 12. <laughs> like, what? Who cares? Don't talk about it. Let it go. Let the conversation go. Or if your wife is talking about something, a trip that she wanted to go, and this and that, you think, but you're not going on the trip. It's not happening until another year. Like, don't worry about it. A bar mitzvah that you know, youngest is only three. Like, what are you worried about? It. Let it go. Let it go. Even though they're wrong, and even though you don't deserve it. And here's the big one when it comes to inactive being mevater. Even when you don't deserve it, you don't deserve what your husband's doing right now. You don't deserve what your wife is doing right now. Let it go. Let it go. Let it go anyways, the same way Hashem lets go for us. And that will bring bracha. That's going to bring bracha. So now, that really has to be the motto. Sometimes you have situations where what? Where, and let's talk about exactly what's going on in your house and what type of distress is happening. Because if we're going to take this distress, what I want to do with you now is I want to take this distress and I want to break it up. I want to break it up into pieces. There are different pieces of distress. There's different reasons why you're upset at your husband. There are different reasons why you're upset at your wife. I call them pirates. That's what I call them. P-I-R-A-T-E-S. It's an acronym that Kodesh Baruch gave me. Pirates. And, and what does it stand for? You're upset at your husband. Why are you upset at your husband? You're upset at your husband because of his pet peeves. He's drinking directly from the soda bottle. He forgot to cap the toothpaste. He stuffs his fingers into the salad bowl. He butchers the watermelon. There's so many things that your husband does that what? That just, just, just annoy you about him. They're just things that annoy you about your husband. I, insults. He's criticizing and blaming you instead of letting it go or negotiating. He contradicts you. He implies that you never do the dishes on time. He insults you in front of the kids. And those are the most hurtful. Those are the hardest to be mevater. The insults are requests. You ask him to come on time and he's late. You ask him to leave you money and he forgot. You asked him to wait up for you and he goes to sleep. And that's a big one, by the way, gentlemen, who are hearing this. You know, this is something that 
I don't speak about enough, and that is, you know, there's only so much time you're spending with your spouse. Gentlemen, your wife has a need to feel connected to you. You also have a need, but not as, not as strong as your wife's need. Your wife has a need to feel connected to you, to feel close to you every day. If you're not spending quality time with your wife, her, bat- her battery starts dying. Now, a big piece of it is, no matter when it is in the month, to, to when you're going to sleep, to go to sleep at the same time. That's a very, very big thing. I know it's not always possible, but it means a lot to your wife, gentlemen. I know that you guys don't really care about it so much, and there are certain exceptional cases where women don't really, aren't really so into this, and believe you me, when I say exceptional, I mean exceptional. But generally, generally, gentlemen, your wives want to spend time with you. And when they're going to sleep, they would like for you to go to sleep at the same time. And that means a lot to them. So it's important to be there to go to sleep at the same time with your wife. Just go sleep. The fact that you're there with her means a lot to her. And when you don't do that, she's going to feel bad. Next, we talk about we talk about requests. Requests. You ask him to come on time and he's late. You ask him to leave you money and he forgot. You ask to wait up for you and sleep. You ask him to go to the cleaners and he forgot. Right, this we actually did. Let's move on. Next, we have the A, the attention. He didn't help you when he came home. And you know, there, there, there's a book. It, it, that's written is talk about talks about different love languages and for certain you know help is up there and and sometimes I would say when you have little children and, and and your husband's not there for you it could sort of switch your love language could sort of switch because it'll mean a lot for you now that you need so much help that your husband is there for you and and when you're not getting that help when you're not getting the attention it's it's the A in the pirates from your husband it's gonna bother you it's gonna or you're not spending quality time. It's going to bother you. Now, of course, we're talking about being mevater. I will tell you, ladies, and this is an important one. If you are not spending quality time with your husband, if, if there's an aura in your house where you are not spending quality time with your husband, you don't feel connected, you don't feel loved, or he's not helping you with the kids when you really need help, this is something you're going to have to talk about. Now, clearly, there's ways to talk about it. I would include this in the 3 to 5% that I talked about before, but overall, we want to let things go. T Torah. If your husband's not davening, you you married a husband you thought he was a ben Torah. or even you married a husband you don't think he's a ben Torah. you just thought he was you know a, a a religious Jew who does you know the right things that Jewish people do and he's now he's not davening he's not praying in the morning, let's say with a minion or without a minion at all. I mean everybody's at their level or he's not learning Torah and this is bothering you or e expectations. You know, you have certain expectations of your husband, normal expectations. You know, there are those who say you should ha- not have any expectations at all. But what do you mean? This is a marriage. You want your husband, say, to clean up after himself. Do you have to clean up after him all the time? You have children. If you have children, you want him to learn with your children. The older the children get, the more they need their father. Um, your husband's getting parking tickets. He's not taking care of them. He's not taking care of the health insurance. He's not taking care of whatever it is. I mean, like, he's my husband. There are certain expectations. He's not taking care of it. So, 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 so what do I do? What do I do, Rabbi Greenfield? You talk about being mevater. Is there a mahalach? Is there a, is there a way to, to do this? How do I do this? How do I, how do I deal with my husband when all these things are coming up? So here's what I want to say to you, ladies and gentlemen. And that's like this. 
Number one, the most important piece over here, and, and I hope you're listening to me now because this is probably the most important piece, and that is do not blame your husband. Now, when you're hearing me now, you're thinking to yourself, I mean, don't blame. It's definitely his fault. Rabbi Gaffer, come to my house. You'll see it's his fault. You're making a mistake. You're making a mistake. And if you're going to get onto the blame train, and if you're going to start blaming your husband, saying to yourself, you know, this is not a good, this is a rotten guy. I married a rotten guy. Or even not to feel you married a rotten guy, but, you know, when he does these things, it's just, it's just, it's, it's really his fault. It's his fault. We can't blame. We can't judge. Same way we don't want Hashem to judge us. And everybody does things that, you know, that we don't want to do, whether they're minor or whether they're major, chas v'shalom. We cannot blame. And let me explain you why you can't blame. Number one, because the main reason you feel blamed towards him or her is because you would have never done that. And I want you to think about this right now. You know why you're so upset at your husband for not taking care of the health insurance? Or you want to know why you're so upset at your wife for um, not having the meal ready? Or you want to know why you're so upset at your wife that the house flying all over the place? Or you're upset at your husband that he doesn't clean up after himself? Or you're upset um, that he's insulting or criticizing you? You're upset at that. Whatever reason you're upset at, the reason you're upset, if you think about it, you know this is true, is because you would have never done that yourself. You would have never done that to him. You would have never done that to her. So you're thinking to yourself, it's not fair. I wouldn't have done it. But you have to remember something. He has a completely different personality than you do. Now, his personality could sometimes work in your favor. The fact that he's, let's say, a little bit lax about cleaning up, the fact that he's a little bit lax, that he doesn't clean up after himself, and these things are not so important to you, believe you me, there are husbands out there, and I know some of them, that they'll come home and they open up the refrigerator, and if the food is not exactly in the order that they like, they're going to be very upset with their wives. If they open up their drawers and their, their socks and underwear is not the way, exactly the way they like, they're going to be upset with their wives. And these are the wives who end up starting fighting with their husbands and say, well, why don't, you get a, why don't we get cleaning help? It's not my fault. We get housekeepers, and these husbands can't necessarily afford housekeepers, and it becomes a whole fight. They're very meticulous. So you have to remember that a personality that you think is the most horrible personality is many times, or I should say, maybe not most times, but many, many times, a personality that works in your favor. And you know that your husband will be more relaxed in certain situations where you won't and you'll be tense and you'll be able to rely on him because you know at least he's relaxed. So you have your husband over there. And it, see, so it works both ways. Or gentlemen, same thing with your wives. You're so upset at your wife that she took the initiative and threw something out of yours that was really important, right? So you're upset at that. How dare her take my papers and throw it out? Now, first of all, she didn't do it because, in spite of you, think she wants to get a machlokas. And I, this is a very important piece to anybody who's listening to me right now. So important. So important. And that is, nobody wants to get into a machlokas. Your wife does not want to fight with you. Your husband does not want to fight with you. Nobody wants to fight. So if you're thinking to yourself that he or she did it because they're just being nasty and mean, or they don't care, they don't love you, they don't whatever about you... Believe you me, if we were to go back in time and I would say to your husband or your wife, I would say to them, I would say, you know, this is going to cause a big fight. Of course your wife wouldn't throw out those papers. Of course your wife would have worked hard to prepare the meal. Of course your husband would have, given, would have say, given you money beforehand and would have learned with the kids or would have done whatever. Of course he would. He doesn't want to aggravate you. Even those of you are thinking right now that I'm wrong, I'm telling you that I'm right. No, the last thing your husband wants is to fight. 
The last thing your wife wants is to fight. They don't want that. But they have a different personality. So if your wife threw out the papers, you're upset at your wife now because she threw out the papers, right? Your wife threw out the papers. You have to remember that meticulousness about taking care of things right away and making sure it's clean, that type of personality actually works in your favor. You know that she takes care of many of your bills or you know that she takes care of, of the children and the house in a way where, she, where she's very responsible. So that responsibility right now might come to haunt you, but generally it works out to your favor. So you see, the personalities work both ways. And we cannot blame our spouse for anything because if we were them, and what does it say? Don't judge a person until you're in their shoes, right? But you really can never judge them because you're never in their shoes. So you see, that's why it's really no one's, no one's fault. I know I'm saying this to you right now. I know when the impasse actually occurs, it's very hard to think like this. I get that. But this is the truth. Let's move on. Number two, why you really shouldn't blame. Number two, it's because this might be a handicap that he or she picked up as a child. Maybe he saw his father picking from the salad without using a utensil. Maybe she grew up and uh, her father used to butcher the, be- the watermelon melon all the time, and that's why she's all upset at you. That's why she's, she's, she's going crazy about the watermelon. So you, you chopped it up a little bit. She's getting so upset. You know why she's getting so upset? Because maybe that's the way she grew up. She saw this, and she doesn't want that in her house. Maybe she, saw, she experienced a, 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 a father or mother who were criticizing, and that's why she's being critical. Or maybe that's why he's being critical, because that's the way... They grew up, so either they're mimicking that type of, of, of behavior or they resent it for the same reason. So it could work both ways. Meaning either they're attacking and criticizing because that's what they saw in their house, not because they really mean to attack and criticize you. I'm not saying this necessarily helps. I mean, this is just really more, more for you to see the truth when we're talking about it now and when you're working at ultimately. And number two, number two, maybe the reason that she's so sensitive with everything that you say and gentlemen, I know many of you know what I'm talking about when you're, you're, you, you feel like you can't have a conversation with your wife sometimes because whatever you say will be taken the wrong way. It will always become a fight. Maybe besides the fact that she has her hats on, hungry, angry, tired, stressed, we speak about this in a different thing, I'm telling you right now, maybe her sensitivity comes because she was criticized as a child. Maybe she was criticized when she was a kid and everything she did was wrong. And there was no such a thing as making a mistake in the house. As a little child, when you're being screamed at, you don't understand that you made a mistake. What you understand is you're a horrible person and you don't see the difference. And therefore, when you get older, you become very sensitive, especially, especially to your husband, who's part of your attachment circle. Here's another reason. Why you should not blame. I know you might not want to hear this, but let's talk about it because this is important. Because you would want your wife to think the same thing about you, what I'm saying right now, and you would want your husband to think about the same thing about you. Because you know your husband blames you many times. You know your wife blames you so many times, right? So you don't want that. So you don't want to blame them. You, shouldn't, you should never blame. Hopefully you have a husband or wife who doesn't blame or they're going to stop blaming. And that is what? Maybe he did not know how much it would bother you. She did not know how much it would bother you. Maybe it might be a frustrating situation where Hashem is testing you. And although your husband is involved, if you think about it, it's really not his fault. It's just a 
array of events that happened that played itself out. It's really not your husband's fault. It's really not your wife's fault. Chances are if you were in his shoes, you would do the same. If you were in her shoes, you would do the same. You cannot blame anyone because it's really no one's fault. These are tests that HaKadosh Baruch Hu gives us. We have to get off the blame train and that's very very, very important. But you know what happens? We really do blame. We end up blaming our husband and our wives. And I want you to think about this because a lot of you are probably doing this all the time. You're, you're, you're doing something that I call masked blaming. Mass blaming. What is mass blaming? Mass blaming is you don't really realize it, but you're really blaming your wife. You don't really realize it, but you're blaming your husband. And you know what happens? One thing was going to lead to another, and then before you know it, you're fighting. And you know who you know who's affected most for those of you who have children, your children. <laughs> they're they're affected most because first of all, hopefully it's not happening in front of them. And if 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 you guys are fighting in front of your children, I am going to tell you right now that must end. You want to know why it must end? First, because, because Hashem doesn't want you to do it. And if you don't subscribe to that, number two is because you're damaging your relationship with your husband and your wife even further when you have your children involved. And third of all, what happens is it damages their psyche. Do you hear me? Their psychological development is going to be impaired. And there are studies about this when they see fighting at home. It's going to be impaired. They're not going to feel secure. They're not going to feel emotionally safe. They're going to feel like something is wrong with them. And what's going to happen is it's going to affect them, not just today, but tomorrow. And if there's a lot of this. It affects them throughout their life and into their marriage. Now, some, sometimes you have kids who have very strong personalities. It doesn't affect them that much. But overall, I'm telling you right now, most cases that I see, it's just, you know, you just sort of you dig a little bit to understand where they're coming from. Not that you want to hear Chas Vashem anything bad, but it, it, all comes, it all comes from their youth of what they experienced, what they saw, what they, or what they didn't see, the homes they come from. And that's why it's so important not to do this in front of your children and not to blame. So here I'm going to give you a couple of examples of what I mean by masked blaming. Number one, question criticism. Can I ask you a question? Do you think it's normal to drink directly from the milk bottle? I'm asking you a question. I'm just asking you if it's normal. Or next, do you really think normal husbands eat breakfast and just leave it for their wives to clean up after them? I'm asking you a question. Do you think it's normal? I'm just asking you. Why don't you just answer my question? Or sarcasm. Sure, it's very normal for husbands to eat breakfast and to leave the mess for their wives to clean. Again, both of these things are blaming. And let me explain you why. Question criticism. You say, can I ask you a question? Do you think it's normal? That's not, that's not a, a, a real question. That's not a sincere and genuine question. That, that question, in a certain sense, is, is, is hidden. It's a hidden question. What I'm really saying to you is you have no excuse for what you're doing. So just fester up and tell me that it's true. Take accountability. Because, yes, I am blaming you. It's your fault. Sarcasm. Of course it's normal. Come on. Sarcasm? You're being sarcastic with your husband? You're being sarcastic with your wife? Sarcasm? Is, is, is toxic in a relationship. There should be no sarcasm in your relationship. I know a lot of relationships have a lot of sarcasm. I think it's funny. Oh, I'm just making a joke, Rabbi Greenfield. Come on. Why are you getting so like, excited about it? It's a joke. We're just sarcastic with each other all the time. Don't have that in your relationship. You wouldn't do that with someone who you respect. You wouldn't do that with someone who you'd be considered a gadol. You wouldn't go over to a to a uh, the gadol adar and say and be sarcastic with him, would you? Would you be sarcastic with a gadol adar? I'm asking you a question. Of course not. Well, that's how you should act to your wife, like a gadol adar. <laughs> you laughing? I'm telling you. Look at the Rambam. Look at the Rambam's edicts when he speaks about marriage. We spoke about this. 
that's how we should talk to our wives. Ladies, you're not out of this. Ladies, this is true for you too. You should treat your husband like a king, not sarcasm. Sarcasm doesn't belong in a marriage. If you have a serious issue with your husband, you're going to have to resolve it. I'm not saying not. There are ways to do it, but not through sarcasm and not blaming because the sarcasm is blaming. Feel my pain. How would you like it if you were going to your parents' house and I wouldn't help your mother clear the table? 